From Schwartz Media, I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is in Europe, and he's there because of the war in Ukraine. Four Asia-Pacific nations, including Australia, have been given a seat at the table at the latest NATO summit because NATO is keen to engage partners around the world. But it's also an opportunity for Albanese to reset relationships with NATO members like the United States, France, Spain and the UK. So has he been successful? Today, columnist for the Saturday paper, Chris Wallace, on Albanese's attempts at a reset. It's Friday, July 1. Hello again, and thank you so much for filling in for the regular wrap of the week in politics. Pleasure, Ruby. So this week, Anthony Albanese is once again overseas. He's meeting with world leaders. And there's been a lot of, of international visits that the Prime Minister has made in his his first five weeks in the role. So could you tell me a bit about this, this latest trip and, and what it's about? Yes, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is in Europe. Uh, first stop was Madrid for the really significant NATO summit meeting, a pretty big deal meeting internationally. Uh, He met with the Spanish president ahead of that. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese has landed in Spain overnight to attend a NATO meeting with world leaders. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is meeting with his Spanish counterpart, the first of many high-level talks on a European tour dominated by the war in Ukraine. Now, Australian-Spanish relations might not seem central to Australia's concerns at the moment. But it makes sense for Albanese to strengthen those ties because Australia, of course, hopes to revive the idea of a trade deal with the EU, uh, something that was blocked under Scott Morrison's prime ministership by French President Emmanuel Macron because of the appalling manner in which Australia pulled out of its contract with the French Naval Group to build submarines over the next 20 years to boost our defence capability. So the way the AUKUS deal was done, the brutal manner in which the Morrison government dumped that French submarine contract really dented Australia's international reputation. So Prime Minister Albanese had to, as a matter of deep urgency for Australia, reset perceptions about us. You know, you can't get the benefits of good international citizenship if you're not a good international citizen. Mm, Okay, well, let's talk a bit more about the NATO summit meeting, because that is really the big purpose of this trip, isn't it? Can you tell me what Anthony Albanese is is doing, visiting what is essentially traditionally a a US-European military alliance? That's right. It's a really significant new initiative by NATO, which invited the Asia-Pacific four countries, as they call them, Australia, New Zealand, Japan and South Korea, to attend too. The presence of Japan, Korea, New Zealand and Australia who have all been invited to this summit signifying that this is not just an issue for Europe. What Vladimir Putin has done with this invasion is to unify NATO and to unify democratic nations against this action. Now, that's a first because NATO, of course, is seeking international support and visible support to help show Russian President Vladimir Putin, that the world is backing it against Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So that might be expected. Uh, Vladimir Putin was hoping uh, that he would be getting less NATO on uh, on his Western uh, front as a result of his uh, unprovoked illegal invasion of, 
of Ukraine. Uh, he's been proved completely wrong. He's getting more NATO. This is a history. But it's also a recognition by NATO that its challenges aren't now just in the uh, North Atlantic area. It's really worried about the no limits relationship between Russia and China and the implications of that uh, for their own hemisphere, but also about Chinese moves in the Pacific that really mark a convergence of Eastern and Western hemisphere security challenges. So this is a really significant development. So Anthony Albanese presented on security relations in the Pacific and in the wider region, and also had many significant side meetings with world leaders. It was a terrific opportunity for him to accelerate the international relations reset. Labor feels is really critical to get respect back for Australia and and have us seen as good international players, uh, not just in international security politics, but also policy, including on climate change. Mm. And can you tell me a bit more then about what this this reset of Australia's international relations means? What is it that Anthony Albanese thinks needs to, to change exactly? Good question. Uh, because Australia historically has been seen as a really good international citizen, uh, both in security and, and policy generally. But what happened under successive coalition governments, sadly, is that Australia slumped in the eyes of the world as a serious player. We haven't had it together on our defence material and defence strategy meshing, which has led to this capability decline that, that's not just bad for us, it's bad for people generally who care about democratic values. So other countries would look at our declining practical defence capability and think, you know, what the hell is going on in Australia? And of course, on critically important global issues like climate change, Australia was seen as a real laggard. And as each successive coalition government uh, served its term in office, that perception became worse and worse until under the most recent one, the Morrison government, Australia was considered such a handbrake on global progress in policy addressing climate change that really we were, we were seen as beyond the pale. So on top of this brief and with kind of a very appealing, easy confidence, Albanese has really made great strides in just five weeks of government to get an international perceptions reset for Australia in those three trips. But of course, there are political dividends too, Ruby. This is kind of the area that opposition leader Peter Dutton would have considered that he personally owned and that the coalition owned. And to the extent that Labor's kind of overperformed early in this area and has kind of got him surrounded by these good ministers kicking obvious goals internationally, it's not a good start for Peter Dutton's opposition leadership. Right. So at the domestic level, this is really about trying to sort of preemptively get ahead of any Dutton talking points on, on national security and defence. Well, it's really cut the ground, the political ground, from out from under Dutton's and the, and the coalition opposition's feet. I think probably the opposition is pretty stunned at the speed with which this has become, you know, a really core part of Labor's high-performing return to government. It's been done with breathtaking speed and, and real, real substance. We'll be back in a moment. As a a. 7am listener, you value the story behind the headlines. 
That's why you should read Post, a free daily newsletter bringing you the top five news stories of the day, summarising each of their key points with links to full articles from a range of sources. Get the news you need to your inbox every weekday morning with Post. Sign up at thesaturdaypaper.com.au slash newsletters. For Sloane Crosley, writing about the loss of a friend may not have provided catharsis, but it did allow for the possibility of a better ending. Like you have this amazing meal that's this friendship and then you have a really, 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 really bad dessert with shards of glass in it. And then like the book is like, you know, those little chunks of chocolate that come with the bill. I'm Michael Williams. Join me for this week's episode of Read This as I talk to Sloane Crosley about her latest Grief is for People. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Prime Minister Anthony Albanese is taking off for the NATO summit in Europe tomorrow, leaving some angry MPs and senators in his wake. The newly elected crossbenchers will have less support than they are expecting. The Prime Minister informing them in this letter that he proposed to allocate one full-time staff member at the advisor classification, an effective cut of three compared to the last parliament. Several Teal and Senate independents have reportedly made it known the decision would directly influence their willingness to pass legislation introduced by Labor. Chris, we've been talking about how Anthony Albanese is trying to to reset Australia's image on the world stage as he meets with other leaders. But back here in Australia, Labor's relations with its, its crossbench MPs have hit a bit of a snag and that's over parliamentary staffing. So can you unpack for me what it is that's that's actually happened here? It sounds like the Labor government wants to reduce the number of staff that the independents have. Yes, this staffing issue has really domestically consumed Australian politics for the last week. It's been the other big story apart from Albanese's trip overseas. To explain, the previous government, the Morrison government, came to office with a very slim majority and during that term of office slid into effective minority government. As that happened, Scott Morrison, as a sweetener to crossbenchers, added four staff members to each of the community independence offices, a phenomenal number of extra staff. Uh, Just to put that in context, a standard MP's staff entitlement is four people. And for a Labor shadow minister, for example, to get even an additional staffer, uh, let alone four, is a big deal. And what hasn't really broken through into the public gaze particularly is the white-hot anger felt behind the scenes by many really exhausted uh, Labor ex-shadow ministers and their staffers who kind of slogged on under incredibly difficult conditions for a long time, with often with just one extra staffer. And, and you've got to remember, Ruby, at times in a Senate estimates, you know, these tiny officers would be trying to match the work of an entire department in trying to get to the bottom of what was going on. So, The fact that the independents expected the same level of staffing when they came in to automatically roll over and be renewed wasn't met. It was a terrible shock to them when they got a letter from Anthony Albanese just before he left for overseas saying, look, we've thought about it and we're going to give you one extra staffer. Essentially, I think what Mr Albanese is trying to do is to nobble the crossbench and to render us less effective. Pretty surprised, disappointed, uh, not uh, the start I was hoping for. And, you know, this is not me being dudded. This is the people that I'm, I'm in there to represent. The ACT has two senators. We've got almost the same population as Tassie who have 12. So 
Zali Stegall led the charge in a, a really public campaign castigating the government and alienating a lot of people when she rather foolishly, I think, said that Anthony Albanese was no better than Scott Morrison. It's very incredibly short-sighted of the Prime Minister and uh, I think it, it really doesn't bode well because it's basically saying, well, I don't respect the work the crossbench has done uh, in the last parliament or can do in this coming parliament. And uh, probably over-egged her argument and looked pretty entitled as she was making that argument. Meantime, Labor's Finance Minister Katie Gallagher and Treasurer Jim Chalmers were trying to explain that this was just a recalibration back to the staffing norm uh, and really it wasn't such a drastic hit against the independents at all. Just because Mr Morrison, when he was Prime Minister, needed to secure confidence and supply from crossbenchers that he gave them extra staff doesn't mean that it's right or fair to continue in this parliament in that way. Right, and whatever the independents should or should not have reasonably expected. The result of this decision is clear. It's done a lot of damage to Labor's relationship with these crossbenchers. So given that, do you think that it was a mistake for Labor to to slash funding in this way? And and should they reconsider? It did do terrible damage right at the beginning of the parliament to that relationship between Labor and the Teals. And that is really, really unfortunate. Labor's only in government with a majority of two seats that can easily change over time. They might not need the Teals and the other community independents now, but they may well in the future. And this kind of nasty fight at the beginning of the parliament is something they likely won't forget. I think in contrast to the way the government is generally behaving, which is a lot of consultation and care to structure expectations and do the necessary talking for people to get into decent collaborative positions, this is the case that stands out as an area where the government didn't do that and then suffered a lot of political blowback. So I think when Anthony Albanese returns to Australia, that'll be a reset. He wants to think about making two. I think probably the Teal's expectation of four extra staff is probably completely unrealistic, but I wouldn't be surprised if there was some sort of negotiation to maybe have them end up with two. And uh, I think the government will want to rebuild that relationship early on rather than have so many disgruntled crossbenchers roaming around bagging Labor. Mm. Yeah, it certainly seems to, I guess, fly in the face of the messaging that we heard very early on from Anthony Albanese and other frontbenchers that they wanted to be collaborative. They wanted to set a new standard um, for working together in Parliament and that kind of thing. It seems to have gone up in flames uh, probably a lot faster than I would have thought. Yes, well, it's a great reminder that jaw-jaw, not war-war, as the diplomats say, is, is always the best way. Who knows what the underlying story is? It could well be that in the, the rush to achieve the international reset, a small but very crucial part of domestic political relations was forgotten in the rush. But uh, on return, Anthony Albanese has an opportunity to repair that relationship and uh, it will be interesting to watch that happen. Mm. Chris, thank you so much for speaking to me today. It's been a pleasure. Pleasure, Ruby. Mahler's music embodies the very essence of humanity. Experience his epic Song of the Earth 
with the Australian Chamber Orchestra, Richard Tognetti and internationally acclaimed opera stars Stuart Skelton and Catherine Carby. Opens May 12. Book now at aco.com.au. Also in the news today, in a historic joint strike, tens of thousands of teachers from public and Catholic schools across New South Wales protested working conditions on Thursday. The New South Wales Teachers Federation said the government's offer of a 3% pay increase was an insult that's below inflation and that crippling workloads were driving teachers away from the profession. And in a US federal court, former star R. Kelly has been sentenced to 30 years in prison for sex trafficking. The singer was accused of using his entourage of managers and aides to systematically sexually abuse women and girls. 7am is a daily show from The Monthly and The Saturday Paper. It's produced by Elle Marsh, Kari Jensen-McKinnon and Alex Gow. Our technical producer is Atticus Basto. Brian Compo mixes the show. Our editor is Scott Mitchell. Eric Jensen is our editor-in-chief. Our theme music is by Ned Beckley and Josh Hogan of Envelope Audio. And today is the final day for our associate product manager, Jade Byers-Pointer. Jade's been with the show since the very first episode and we can't thank her enough for her dedication and hard work over the last three years. I'm Ruby Jones. This is 7am. See you next week.